0: How, how our brains are wired, right? You know, how we are wired to um, maybe motivate others or motivate ourselves. And that, that isn't more true or evident when um, is when you are in the workforce. Right. I'm just uncover the answers that they already know are there. Maybe they just didn't verbalize them or didn't think of them. you yeah, asking the right question just helps. Without that dialogue, I think people just kind of stay in their heads about what the, what the challenges are, what the problems are. Maybe they think they're too big or they won't be able to get past them. And our brains are always trying to figure out, you know, how long is this going to take? What's the path to get there? And what does success look like? Right. And if we don't have any of those right now.
1: Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment.
0: Like I, I had you know, helped them with that dialogue and created a space for them to solve the problem on their own rather than forcing things, you know, at them, doing things to them, you know, like something in whatever I did, you know, just allowed them permission to, you know, create a solution. And and the hope was that, you know, I, you know, I, I was able to create that space for them to do that.
1: Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. we got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. and back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Super excited to be nerding out today with my friend, Mike Benzi. As I started my own business, Rachel Pritt was kind of coaching me through the journey and helping me to target the niche that I wanted to serve and how I was going to start to promote my business. And I asked her, does she know anyone who does this really well? So she introduced me to Mike and he agreed to meet me for breakfast. And the, the, the breakfast was amazing, but the conversation was awesome. We more just talked about who we were as people and the things that we loved doing and less about our businesses. And we had a ton in common. And I think probably 80% of that conversation, Mike, was spent talking about Iron Man <laughs> <laughs> You're just a wealth of knowledge about how you as a startup or you as an entrepreneur can create value for clients and to go about it in a way that does isn't all consuming. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing startups and stuff, and it's like a 90-hour job. And you know, when I met you, you had great advice on how to be very efficient and effective with it so that it it wasn't all consuming. So I've always appreciated your mentorship. And you sharing uh, your experiences to help me in my own business. So, thank you for coming on to the episode.
0: You bet. You bet. No, thanks. Thanks for going back to memory lane. And, and it's hard to even imagine um, being together in person sharing a meal during this time. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, let alone talking about Ironman and races and, and getting into the water with a thousand other people. Uh, So, yeah, 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 those are good times. But yeah, definitely. No, I loved it. And I love the energy that you had um, at that time, you know, kind of going into the unknown. Um, I mean, if I remember you, you had, I mean, you you had some big experiences within large environments that that must have been kind of like the times that we're in a little bit, a little bit scary, a little bit
1: exciting, not knowing what to expect next. I think that's a way to summarize almost everything in life is experiences you've had when you're in them. Oftentimes you're not fully aware of how big or monumental they might be. Um, and then as you grow through those things and you move into, you know, from one challenge to the next, you tend to forget the things you've already overcome. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, it's a good reminder for the day
0: Our um, our kids all start school within the next week and i feel like we're having similar conversations with them just you know trying to gear them up for what to expect you know wearing masks and socially distancing and what a school gets closed it's like hey you, you you don't you don't have control over those things but or and you, know, you 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 have you have a lot of control over what you have control on and focus on that around just getting your head ready for the day and being prepared for what's next. So yeah, a, a lot of a lot of those things, you know, thinking back to our breakfast, yeah, still still seem to ring true, which is nice for sure. It means I wasn't making stuff up, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot has changed since then. Um and you know, we were talking about sit-downs and networking with clients and keynote presentations and things like that. And you're still doing a lot of that virtually. So recently, you you made a presentation virtually on a topic that I can't wait to nerd out uh, about today with you. So I want to kind of set the stage and have you lay that topic out for us. Curious what what is it what is it that we're going to be nerding out about today, Mike? Well, if we can't talk about
0: Men and triathlons and ultra races, then I guess um, one thing that I'd love to nerd out about is just uh, culture in the workplace. Uh, you know, I, I, it sounds like a lot of your improvement nerds are, are either working right now, leading others, maybe a combination of both. Um, and I'd love to just nerd out around you know, what it's like to uh, work, uh, what it's like to lead other people. Um, and, and to just be a person who, who leads other people.
1: You know, I, um, I'm sure Man and ultra and endurance sports and family is all going to come up as we, we share stories and we nerd out about that topic. And I think it's a really important topic right now because culture takes work and very intentional, focused effort to define and to create and to sustain so before we nerd out about culture and and share some ideas about how to create culture and inspire and direct culture during times of uncertainty, before we do all that, I want to let the improvement nerds of the world get to know you a little bit. So share with us the path that you've taken in order to get to where you are now. Maybe start with what you do, who you are, and I'll talk a little bit about Benzie and Company, and then kind of... Give us a little bit of the history lesson of, of how this all came about.
0: No, that's great. No, thank you. Yeah, at I, Fencing I, Company, me and the dog, um, we focus on uh, working with leadership teams, working with executives on how to better communicate, how to better prioritize um, in order to lead great cultures and lead great businesses. So a lot of times that looks like um, for me, you know, being an outsourced resource to help them with all things culture. Right. Um, You know, I met a group at that talk that you mentioned, they have 40% turnover. They, um, you know, are having a lot of challenges with remote working Um, and the COO and, and majority of the executive team is new and, You know they've reached out, just saying, "Hey, help!" Right? You know, like we've read books, we think we know, but but something's not working, and we need help with that. And um, you, boy, to to start at at how I got here, uh, not to go too far back, but you know, right out of school, I I kind of fell into human resources. um, You know, not really knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up, and it wound up being a great great fit. You know, because I was helping people, I was. You could see that in terms of helping them find a job, helping managers with difficult issues. I got to see a lot of HR in, in kind of like an entry-level generalist role. That really got me turned on to a couple of things. One, just you know how important it was to treat people well while at work, which you know, for a kid out of college seemed like a no-brainer, but you could really see evidence of that, of when it was working and when it wasn't. And, and then, you know, second, you know, just, you know, this other kind of passion of just how, how our brains are wired, right? You know, how we are wired to um, maybe motivate others or motivate ourselves. And that, that isn't more true or evident as when, um, when you are in the workforce. Um, and so, you know, even early in my career got, you know, turned on to those things. And, you know, kind of moved my way out, you know, in in and out through different HR, HR leadership roles. I um, went from manufacturing to tech, from tech to uh, state government of all places, um, which was a really wild experience, too. Which I guess state government and wild probably don't go in the same sentence, but um, just at the time that it was a lot of change happening and really neat time to see how you can use, you know, change to motivate people. Um, and and what happens when you don't um, and, and all of that kind of fell into um, a consulting role with a firm based out of Indianapolis, and you know never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would do consulting, nor did I think I would go out on my own, but um, over the seven years that I was there, luckily, you know they were wonderful and sharing a lot of resources, um, a lot of just how-to and gave me a lot of space to try new things, and um, you know the timing just weren't worked out great to go out on my own, um, to where I am helping continuing to help businesses around their people.
1: It's, it sounds almost as if it was planned out perfectly. And I know that's not the case. I mean, um, when I had Jason Barnaby on the episode, he, he talked, you know, had you look at everything, um in a forward way, like it seems jarbled and it doesn't make sense. But when you stand where you are today and you look backwards on it and see how it all adds up, you realize how truly lucky you are mm-hmm. the experiences that you've had. And it just sounds like, you know, the the path you've walked has given you the experiences you've needed in order to be... Um, not, I don't think the word's creditable, but like steadfast for organizations when they need someone who can come in and provide clarity and drive accountability and help them get unstuck.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Thomas, I, I could really use you to write some copy for me about what I do and how I work. That was fantastic. I'm taking notes already.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm looking a little bit at your background, and you talked about that motivational theory aspect of why people do what they do and how do we as leaders help those individuals achieve. So as you were sharing those things, I'm like, is he a psych major? Cause I've talked to <laughs> other HR professionals who, um, you know, said like, Hey, I, I just found myself in HR. And while there I got to learn about HR processes, but what I was mostly curious was, about how to engage people and how to motivate people, and both of those people had psych degrees too. So I was like, "Does Mike have a psych degree?" And sure, sure enough, you're in people's head. You betcha. Yeah, no
0: i I, I get that a lot, and yeah, it's so true. I mean, you know the the folks that you talk to, you know, you know, like helping helping the business is is wonderful and great. You get to see how. organizations can thrive when they really focus on their people. But then, you know, there's this other part where it's like, well, wow, you know, you, you know, like I'm helping a client in terms of, you know, they, they love to be in control. And if they're leading a team, being in control is great, right? You know, and that they get to come up with really neat ideas and move the organization forward, even in times like this with uncertainty, but also it's really Challenging because you might leave people out or you might rely on your gut so much that you just kind of think you know it all and you 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 don't listen to others. So you know, like those types of things when they happen, it's like wow, that is um so challenging yet so cool to think about the basic things that you can do right when you're open to those to really not only help improve yourself, but help improve others.
1: And Almost every episode or, or conversation I have in in one way or another, it always gets back to a sample of one and of one. So the individual and how that person interacts with the world. And I think it's for me, that was when the light bulb went off in my career was I was studying for my PMP and the individual who was administering the training he said has a project manager there's all these tools and there's this body of knowledge and the organization has expectations of you to deliver results but don't ever forget that the most important thing on any of your projects is the people that trust you to help them be successful and when i started to manage projects in that way by empowering people like <laughs> became a lot more fun and the results came a lot easier than me going around and just telling people what to do and how to do it and why to do it. And so I'm, I'm glad that light bulb went off for me. I know it's gone off for you.
0: Yeah, no, well, and thanks for sharing that too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed how much, you know, like back in my day, I think, I think I'm old enough where I can say back in my day, right? Like my, my father, where you i I remember those types of classes not not touching on the people's side. So that is awesome to hear that you even got got that input, right? That insight and that they're focusing on that uh now. Um, you know, it's just so important to, yeah. for regardless of the industry or role to make sure that, that people focus is there.
1: So this is a bit crass, but I, in some ways, want to petition for a refund of my MBA (laughs) because, you know, I, I studied finance and empathy and some of the softer culture, the culture pieces weren't part of my curriculum. Like everything was analytical and whatnot. So, you know, now obviously I selected that degree. So I somewhat did it to myself, but then I walked out of. Grad school and into the workforce and relied on what the book said to do and it, like <laughs> it was just a train wreck. I was trying to convince with data and using terms no one understood. I actually used in I used the word in healthcare leverage. Um, oh no! Uh, wh- whoops! <laughs> <laughs> I've I've learned a lot by doing it wrong. Uh, but you know, I see that you went to Kelly also. I, and they're a forward-thinking organization, but I, I just think all institutions were in the dark. They didn't understand the importance of culture the way that it's understood now. There's so much research that has happened around um, human interactions that weren't as well understood back then, that mm-hmm. now they're better understood and more actionable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we you you brought up my psychology degree. I mean, I I would love to go back to school now and and just go back to those courses. You because I I remember sitting with a buddy who I think he was a chemistry major, but I mean, like like he 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 called it like a that's a legit science, right? There's there's research. Whereas you know, we're learning about guys like Freud and and others where they have these really cool theories. It's just you know, it it was still, it still seems so new. Whereas, you know, in the last, you know, gosh, over 20 years, so much is out there and we're able to study things in such a better way of just of, you know, of workplace culture, psychology itself, sociology, right? Like there is just so much coming out where um, it is. I mean, I, I, lo- yeah, I'd love to just go back to undergrad and just sit in the classroom to hear what they're learning right now.
1: Yeah. I think, um continuing education opportunities would probably be something that could fill that for you so i don't know um you know like has a change a change agent or or whatnot you know are those professional credentials that require you to do that ongoing learning are they bringing in the new research and for me that when i was starting this own this business and whatnot like I was just doing everything I had done before because it was routine and it was habit and comfortable for me. And as soon as I had to make change and stuff like, uh, yeah, it was pretty exhausting and I had a lot of anxiety and it was because, because of the psychology of it all mm-hmm. it was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and people just had to talk me through some of that stuff to realize like what the science is, the, the innate innateness of it. Playing out, and to realize, like, hey, it's not you. Like, don't don't be guilt, don't feel guilty about it, or get down on yourself because it's happening. It's like there's years of evolution is why, <laughs>
0: right, right, yeah, yeah. You're you're trying to find a lot of years in terms of how we've evolved as humans. So yeah, don't don't think you've got it all figured out.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people fool themselves thinking they do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think you're
0: seeing that in spades. <laughs> uh, you know, around the, what's going on in, in our society right now.
1: Yeah. So I, I also see um, that you had an experience where you were an adjunct professor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. Thanks for that. Where I, I taught. I've taught for two semesters now, in the last two years, um, on the topic of um, people in the workplace. So you know, it's been a really fun experience just um, bringing some of the things that I've learned working with other clients to a classroom environment. Uh, If anything, it's really kind of challenged me to just, you know, make one, make sure I'm keeping up on the latest information, the latest research, um, but also, two, to get a different perspective because you think about when, you know, Thomas, when you, you got your MBA, These are folks, they're all over the place in terms of their career. Some are just out of school, you know, not knowing what to do next. Some are mid-career wanting to get the MBA to kind of catapult them into maybe a higher level leadership role. Some are just in there for fun. You know, I I had one who, um, he, he's actually, um, his, his daughter was going to the school and he wanted to continue the education, um. And, and wanted to learn and, and almost be a student along with her. So it, it's just been like a really great experience to continue that learning process and, and give back in a way to others.
1: I'm sure that you know passion to teach and educate and give people knowledge so that they're in a position where they can act and behave differently and be a advocate for change with the information with the right information. That's got to be kind of cool to to see that these individuals are seeking that. So that, you know, the good thing about a student is they, they know what they're getting themselves into. And they're seeking this new knowledge. But what that new knowledge will allow them to do is really promising because as a society, there's just so much information. There's so much knowledge that's available now that you have to want to be current on it and try to incorporate it and include it in your next steps. So you as an adjunct professor and as a consultant, you're always trying to bring the most uh, thought provoking conversations to the table to help people really evaluate where they are and where they want to go and make informed decisions about the best way to get there.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the, the last two times that I've taught, you know, um, you know obviously not not during the pandemic but pre pandemic you know you you had a lot of folks who you know again were there because you know they would they w- it was really neat because they could bring in like real life examples that they had struggled with or had experienced whether you know maybe it's a a poor, poor manager or a a you know low morale culture um or or more immediate issues um you know, to talk through, you know, I, you know, in terms of, you know, I think one, you know, who, who was, had direct reports, he, he talked through, he was, he had a problem, he had a challenging employee on his hands and and it was really neat to be able to talk about that in the classroom um, and to have people not, not really give advice, but to ask questions, to learn more about, well, what would you do and how would you handle this? So it's been, yeah, that any kind of laboratory like experience for me
1: it's almost like uh, case studies, right? Like real oh, yeah. case studies. And you know, the, it, as I support my clients and whatnot, I, I'm somewhat doing the same thing. Like they had an experience that they have a problem. There is an opportunity on the other side of that problem. The thing is, is no one sees it all or understands it all. So there needs to be research about the, the the problem or the opportunity to, you know, really study it and really understand it through questioning and collecting information and going to see it for yourself. And then with all that information, then taking it and evaluating, you know, what what are the root causes or the primary drivers of these things happening? And how do we then implement countermeasures to prevent them from happening in the future or to lessen the impact of them happening right now. You know, these ideas, once we have prioritized them, how do we act on them? How do we measure their outcomes? Really? It's, it's this convert, It's always conversational. Like it's not, when I come in, it's not about the tools I bring. It's about the dialogue I drive it's bringing. And I'm sure it's true for you too. It's bringing everyone to the table and having them have a conversation about where they are and where they want to go and facilitating consensus building and buy-in and a willingness to take risk and a willingness to change.
0: That dialogue is such a key piece. I mean, and you see it in, in your own work with your clients. Without that dialogue, I think people just kind of stay in their heads about what the, what the challenges are, what the problems are. Maybe they think they're too big or they won't be able to get past them and someone like you coming in and having that dialogue simply, you know, I, I, I'm sure you've seen it too. in you know, in your project management days too, of just, you know, helping people kind of just uncover the answers that they already know are there. Maybe they just didn't verbalize them or didn't think of them. Yeah. Asking the right question just helps pop that out for them.
1: Yeah. I love that's really why I'm addicted to um, the improvement sciences and and serving as a consultant, which has like a negative word, a negative connotation with it. But for me, it's it's really about going in and helping people trust their own ideas. And and I know yeah. it's true for you because the history we've had and the conversations we've had, I know that when you support your clients, you're doing the same thing. You're really helping the individuals who have the problem. Um, you know sit with it because a lot of times they'll ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist or they won't voice their concerns about it so you come in and you create that safety for them and their peers and everyone around that problem or who's impacted by that problem to to talk about it and to share ideas about how it can be solved and it's once you do that once you create that environment the answers come and big problems start to feel really small and progress gets made pretty quick
0: yeah, no, for sure. And it's funny that you say, you know, consultants, you know, that it's, it's a bad word. I, I totally agree with you. I, I finished up a project a couple of months ago and, and, and part of the process was just, you know, getting feedback from the folks who were involved and, you know, and over, overall, you know, really good responses, you know, like it was good project, everything, you know, all the expectations were met, you know, we kind of, we, we landed the plane, all of those fun terms. Um, but w- one one comment stood out that I really I really liked, and it, it was along the lines of, you know, when when this comes up again, you know, I, I don't think we need a consultant. I think we can do it ourselves. And and to me, it was like the best feedback I could receive because, like, I I had you know helped them with that dialogue and created a space for them to solve the problem on their own rather than forcing things. You know, at them doing things to them, you know, like something in whatever I did, you know, just allowed them permission to, you know, create a solution, and and, and the hope was that you know I you know you know I I was able to create that space for them to do that, um, and and I think you know it, we, the best consultants do that, right, where they they are working not for themselves but rather for you know, the sake of that space so that others are able to join in, um, and create their, create the solution together.
1: Very well stated. Just, um, I, I want to take what we're talking about now and point that at culture. Cause for, for me, sometimes when I've come in, it's been, uh, a specific problem. So, uh, growth of a business or product line, or um, you know, excessive cost in the supply chain. So a lot of it's transactional, like I need your help doing this one thing. And yeah, there's layers to it, but it's not overly complex. Um, now, when you try to point that problem solving process and that trust building process, or the work to create space for people to share ideas at something that's more broad such as culture it it's much bigger more complex and requires a more delicate approach because of it so i want to start to talk about how you lead organizations through improving their culture and, and especially how that is looking now with with so much chaos occurring in organizations how do people keep their focus on culture and actually impact it
0: yeah no for sure for sure well thomas i mean you you know like any good consultant first it depends right you know like that. i think that's a a great uh tool to rely on it depends but um more often than not you know my the way that i come in is i i'm truly trying to really understand right and and Get a lay of the land, if you will, because I think a lot of times I hear, and you've probably heard this too, right? Broken supply chains, right? Like, okay, those, those are those are symptoms, but what's the real problem, right? You know, turnover can be high, but what what's causing that? And 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 so, you know, a lot of times it's really trying to develop that understanding, and that might be done with the the. Executive team that I'm talking with, um, or other times where I'm having to come in and um, you know maybe do a little bit more uh, of a a deep dive, like a a formal review. Maybe that's through an employee survey or focus groups, or just kind of you know another type of assessment to really kind of gather that. And you know, especially during this time, you there, there there's you're looking at. At that, with a different type of lens, perhaps, but still looking in the same areas. You know, I, I think you know a year ago, um, when you know folks said, "Well, th- this isn't a f- we don't have a flexible work environment." You know that that meant something, but now when people say that, right? You know, it's it's less about you know how often I can work from home, and more about well, I don't feel listened to because of my. You know, child care needs or my dependent care needs. Um, I don't, you know, when we talk about recognition, um, you know, we, perhaps in the past it was, you know, the quarterly town hall where we kind of talk about, you know, who did a good job. Whereas now it's like, well, I only hear from my manager. And, you know, the, the manager is absent because they're, he or she's dealing with their own issues in terms of. You know, just where their minds at in terms of focusing at home or with their work responsibilities. So, still coming at it with that same type of desire to learn, but maybe kind of having different feelers and areas that that might be causing some disruption, given the time that we're in.
1: I imagine the levers are somewhat the same of a robust culture. So, um. You know, there's likely to be things driving to a good, strong uh, culture, and then, but there's probably also things that are eroding it. And whether you're physically present or working virtually or amidst a crisis or instability, I imagine these levers are probably the same. They may change slightly, but I'm, I'm assuming trust leadership is important in any circumstance communication and information sharing and feedback is important in any situation you mentioned reward recognition i think that's important uh working collaboratively and the opportunity to contribute and share your ideas is important so i'm assuming as you go in and you measure culture you're seeing similar themes of what is contributing to it or what's chipping away at it. What what are some of the other things you tend to see in that analysis of what builds a good culture or what breaks it down?
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I I think you hit on the key ones and and I, mean, I I won't I won't go through those over again. I think you you really nailed them, but I think one right now that's coming up um in a really interesting way at least my my opinion is you know, just do I have do I have the tools to do my job? Mm-hmm. And and that can mean a lot of things for different people. Um, you know, tools could be, you know, if I'm working from home, am I do I have space to get the job done? Um, do I have you know a laptop? Uh, do I have uh, you know, I and a client, you know, she's just asking for a whiteboard, you know, for you know, just let me have 30 bucks to get a whiteboard so I can write down some notes. But Mm-hmm. You know those types of tools, you know, but also I think at a larger level like is my am I able to do my job um, you know there's so much noise going on right now. you mentioned um the pandemic, social unrest um I mean you add in i mean climate change. I just read an article um about an invading species of jellyfish that 's in Europe now i mean it's just like everywhere you look there is just something amiss and if we're not making the job enjoyable easy to do right we're doing a disservice to our employees and so you know like recognition is great but how easy is it to get the job done are we making it overly complicated with different processes um different levels of approval right i, th- I think you know right now it's really just focusing on those fundamentals of what it means to work in terms of how we share that. So that's been kind of a big piece um, that I see uh, within organizations. Um, the other is, you know, if if you think about when the pandemic started, it was really kind of neat. It was like th- this little experiment in itself of, you know, how how would companies respond? And for the most part, I think you heard companies who were communicating more. Um, you know, some of the studies showed that, you know, feelings of, you know, that trust and leadership that you mentioned went up during that time. Uh, communication also went up, right? People knew exactly what the organization was doing and why. You know, here's why we're not working in the office. Here's why we are, right? Here's why we're needed. We are an essential business. Um, and then also people just loved having a job, right? Employment said. Um, crazy numbers right now and and people are, are grateful. Um, but you know, over the last five months, some of those basics have, have kind of, um, been put to the side, you know, we're kind of tired. Um, uncertainty is dragging up, you know, so companies are starting to communicate less or maybe not as clear. Um, the level of care, um, that we see is, is, you know, people are feeling less cared for, right? Again, kind of whether it's being asked to come back into the office or forced to come back into the office, um, despite the challenges of having kids or loved ones at home. Um, and then, you know, also, you know, just I think managers are sick of it. You know, we uh, if you look at at the data, managers don't trust remote working um, or their skills to manage remote working. And so, yes. The the you know everything has shown that you know people who were able to work remote have been able to do so, but I don't. I mean, I think fundamentally, you know, we as humans don't trust that that's the case, and so we're kind of again pulling people back in, um, maybe you know before before we needed to or without clarifying those questions. So you know, a lot of those fundamentals are being challenged right now during this time.
1: Yeah, I think the middle of any change is. Mm-hmm. The the fuzziest and the most unorganized um, thing, because at the at the start, as you were saying, it kind of follows a U shape. Er, early on, a lot of communication, a lot of support, and over time, as resources are spent and the change sets in, as people, it, it slips to the back of their mind. Uh, their fatigue sets in, and, and things like that. So the middle, the lull, is always where things kind of fall apart. And then magically, there's a correction. Once people kind of see that end, you know, they can realign and they can refocus their energy on communicating and, and things like that. But with what we're going through right now is that there's just no, at least from what I've seen, there is no clear end in sight. And I think that this middle, the middle of this is – um, something that stings pretty bad because, because of that, like, would I just, there's so much uncertainty. We don't know how long the uncertainty is going to last that it's hard for people to make decisions about the, what their strategies are for their organization and, and things like that. So are you seeing that kind of like this is that U shaped energy happening and change?
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and I know we joked about it at the beginning, but um if i may have permission to talk about an ironman race it feels a lot like that right maybe it's not an ironman but but any type of event that you you haven't been through or you, the type of distance right our our brains are always trying to figure out you know how long is this going to take what's the path to get there and what does success look like right and if we don't have any of those right now and in Iron Man, in in the working world, right? You, you you reach this point where, yeah, I'm tired. This is taking longer than I thought. Um, boy, I should be going faster <laughs> than I wanted to, right? I'm maybe I'm not feeling you know the right level of energy. You know, we're we're we are just feeling off. And I I hear a lot of clients kind of at that point where, you know, we're at that that bottom in a way in terms of you know like. Where do we go from here? What is, where are we going? And um, if if companies don't get control of that quickly, I think it's going to lead into long-term result or or long-term impact in terms of just, whether it's just general engagement, but also just the success of their people and ultimately the success of the business.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb here. One of the other drivers I tend to see around culture and engagement is opportunities for growth and development. And I'm assuming you see it on your surveys. I know when I've done Baldridge assessments and whatnot, that's a training and outcome training, training activities, but also training outcomes is a key emphasis of um, or an organization. So, you know, right now in so much uncertainty, I, if I was in leadership, I'd be trying to pool my resources and conserve cash. And the last thing I'd be doing, my, my tendency is to not want to spend on training and growth and development for my workforce. And, you know, by withholding that development, I think people who are in this change, they know things are going to be different in the future. They may not know exactly how different they'll be, but they want to be doing something right now to prepare themselves for that. So they are, I think they are hungry for growth and development, but I don't see very many organizations with a willingness to invest in those things. And for all the transformations I've been part of, that really was the thing that kept it all together. And most recently, the one that I had supported, uh, a hospital transformation out in the Southwest, the the senior leader he op- the the CEO actually openly said, "I know other organizations would not invest in growth and training and development right now." And he said, "I am not going to make that mistake. I'm actually going to double that budget." Oh, wow! That's and good. they had a, a large financial deficit that they had to overcome. So. You know, and I think a lot of organizations right now they see these financial deficits and they're trying to conserve their cash. But they, what they don't realize they might be doing is they're preventing their workforce for being future ready in some ways, and they and they could be um, losing individuals who are looking for for those those investments right now. Are you seeing that play out?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I I. I... There's
0: not a lot of organizations, to your point, who are talking about learning and development. Um, as I historically think about it, right, like kind of large classrooms, um, training programs, whether, you know, maybe even online training as well. Um, where where I'm trying to encourage people is, you know, and we, and we kind of talked about it earlier of just using, using that time that you're in. Um, as as a training opportunity i mean if if you think about you know those uh, organizations who have had to make job cuts right they're being forced into that by asking people to do more with less right um, and so there be, you know there are people out there who are being forced into new roles and, and and there's a lot of opportunity in a way you know hopefully without having to make job cuts to think about what are those ways that we can get people learning without having to send them to a conference, to a training program. Um, maybe we're not cutting our budget, but we're putting the dollars in a different way. And so that, that's where what I'm seeing some companies do. But to your point, yeah, most of them are just kind of sitting tight on larger engagement development efforts.
1: We talked a little bit about the, the different levers or the drivers of a culture or the things that can erode it. I want to kind of just dive maybe deep on on one of them. I know in a previous presentation, you presented 20 ideas that organizations could implement in order to um, drive culture. So we're not going to empty the pockets and go through all 20, but maybe if you can give us like one of those recommendations and, and we'll leave it as a teaser. Cause I want individuals to hear this and be like that, that Mike Benzie has 19 more of those ideas. I need to talk to him. So <laughs> I don't want you to, you know, give away the cow here. Um, but what maybe, what is one thing that an organization can do that you've seen to be effective right now in this time uh, to help better define their culture or to nurture it and to move it forward?
0: No, definitely. Yeah. Thanks for that. No, I, I I think the the theme over the last week um, has been around communication. Uh, You have folks who, you know, again, they, you know, maybe we thought we'd be back in the office by now and we're not, or we're being asked to come back to the office when maybe I'm not ready as an employee or my family's not ready because kids are not going back to school. They're going virtual, right? Whatever it is. And so, you know, that communication theme seems to be a hot topic. And, and I think if you think about when pandemic, the pandemic started, we were communicating constantly, right, which was really great, because we needed to things were coming up every day, we were learning new things, we were so unsure. You know, So I, I mean, I, I remember a CEO I worked with, he had in um, one day, he he had, you know, like 10 meetings just back to back. I don't think he ate or, or went to the bathroom during that time, but he would hold these 15 minute stand up meetings at 730 in the morning and then at 430 in the afternoon. And at the time that seemed logical and I even encouraged it. Um, and but he continued those way beyond what anybody needed or wanted. Right. And so I think. Over-communication um, is, is not what's needed and obviously not under-communication, but I, I think just that idea of consistently communicating, right, getting back to what was going well of, you know, having a cadence and just creating something for yourself of, you know, what does it mean to be in communication with my team? And, you know, it, it's really, you know, some simple ideas of just daily, you know, we check in on someone that we haven't talked to in a while. Um, weekly, you know, we make sure we talk to the all team. Maybe it's, maybe it's that 15 minutes standup meeting, just, we don't have to do it every day now. Um, and you know, continue with monthly company updates, quarterly reviews, or, or setting goals, whatever that is, but creating that cadence is just so important right now.
1: And to shamelessly plug something that I know works really well is to write a communication plan. It's, you know, an initial assessment of what's the information that needs to be shared, who is the audience that needs to get it, and what are their preferred communication methods. I think an organization that tends to be where the rub is is that they'll do like who's the audience and what's the information we got to get out, but they don't ever ask the, themselves the question of how does that audience like to receive that message, what is their preferred channel. And I think if an organization was to say, "Hey, we want to improve our communication," maybe one of the ways they can really get there faster is to talk to their people and simply ask, "What are your preferred communication methods? Do you want email? Do you want a virtual meeting? Do you want um, a, a newsletter? Do you want whatever?" And, and really, because there, there's one that you know a lot of. Uh, age diversity in the workforce but there's diversity in general so organizations can't assume that every everyone's homogenistic and just wants to be communicated with the same way so not just are you saying let's communicate but let's communicate in the way people want to be communicated to and and, and commit to that and learn as we go and constantly i think that's what you were saying is Let's not over communicate or under communicate. Well, the only way to know if you're doing those two things is to solicit feedback and to evaluate your communication methods to say, are these working the way that we thought they were?
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. I love that. Right. You know, I I, I had a client where they they hadn't asked that question, and until I got in, they didn't realize that their emails were just being ignored. That they got all their information from their local area manager, um, mm-hmm. on, on their, on the weekly updates that area manager held. And so they, they just realized that that's how they get their information. So that's how we'll deliver it. And we, they delivered information through the, that area manager and, you know, communication scores went up for them just for that sm- simple, act of, like you said, just understanding how people like to receive that, that communication. So yeah, I think you're spot on. Well,
1: I'm, you know i was simply saying something that i know you were already doing i just wanted to go there and nerd <laughs> um so th- i think that's really sound advice and you know uh in- individuals who are looking to improve their communication um there's a lot of resources that are out there like just go to google and type in communication plan and one's going to come up i you know i've tried to you know, create one for my, my organization and make it available. But you don't have to, people listening to this, you don't have to work with Mike or I to improve your communication, but you do have to commit to improving your communication. Work with someone, whatever resource that works best for your organization, seek it out and try to make it happen. Like it's important. We, as Mike had said in the surveys he'd done, communication oftentimes is one of the key drivers of culture and engagement. So, I think that's great advice to say, let, here's some ways you can improve it. Uh, you can help. I'm, I'd be happy to help. Uh, if not, like, still work on it, people. <laughs> I love it. We can end it on that. Work on it, people. We just want to work on communication all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun uh, nerding out with you. And thanks for coming and talking about all the things that help to create a robust culture and leaving us with a a good uh, piece of recommendation of that one thing people can start doing to improve their culture. And, you know, we teased that that there's 19 other things on your list of 20 things organizations can be doing. So I want you to take this opportunity to plug yourself and and, uh, leave us with ways that individuals can connect with you and, to see this presentation of the 20 ways to, to create a a robust culture. Thanks for that, Thomas. And thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Um, Like you said, I think
0: um, probably the best way is just my website, uh, www.mikebenci.com, M-I-K-E-B-E-N-S-I.com, all one word. And um, I'll, I'll throw a blog out there. You can subscribe to a monthly newsletter Um, or just see other helpful information um, as far as things that I talk about. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks again, Thomas.
1: Thank you. And I'll include all that information in the show notes. So the Improvement Nerds of the World, like you guys have zero excuses not to follow up with Mike.